Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. First Time Machine by Frederick Brown, or The First Time Machine. This is first published in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, September 1955. Um, Internet Science Fiction Database didn't know where it was first published. I didn't know where it was first published, but I was going through an issue of Ellery Queen. I said, hey, a Frederick Brown. And I always think of Frederick Brown stories as worth reading because, A, they're really short, and B, they're written by Frederick Brown. <laughs> so... Although he does have an interesting novel, What Mad Universe. He does. He is not... Novel length. Yeah, no, he's not only a short, short science fiction writer. He's also a short, short uh, crime writer and a short, short all sorts of different things writer. But that's really what he's known for. And he does write longer, or did write longer stuff. But um, he was everywhere because he was in... I I just... I'm trying to think of all of the... uh, Many, many, many stories I've read by him. I don't know. There's dozens and dozens because he's in so many magazines because it doesn't take that long to write a one-page story. But and it's also very easy to, for an editor to decide. Ah, this is what I need to fill yeah. out my editorial content. Yeah, and that it makes it sort of difficult to like in today's world if you go to the bookstore. Uh, you're going to be confronted by a lot of novels, some short story collections, and way less magazines. Um, but with Frederick Brown, the majority of his output, I would say, is short shorts like this. And then there's a couple of novels, some of which are acclaimed, like What Mad Universe. Um, there's uh, some full-length novellas, I think, uh, novelettes. And he did regular short stories as well, but this was like his specialty. And he sort of carved a little niche out for himself. There were other people doing this, but I don't think anybody would say there's a more famous short short guy than Frederick Brown. In fact, his name is short. I've always had difficulty spelling it. It's F-R-E-D-R-I-C, Frederick. I usually want to add a K or... I don't know, Frederick, uh, an extra E, but uh, it's Frederick Brown, and uh, this is not the first one we've done. We've actually done two other stories by him on Reading Short and Deep. One was Hall of Mirrors, which is a very interesting story, and The House, which is still baffling to me, Um, but this one's a little less baffling. (laughs) So let let me add to this, because uh, this will bear on... How? No, I'd like to come back to the, 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 the point about Brown writing short shorts and what they may mean um, after we've had a chance to go through this one. I will point out, though, that Frederick, no K at the end, Brown um, probably came from a poor family and Fred Pohl, Frederick Pohl, no C. Um, they probably just decided it was cheaper to share. I so think that's right. Each, each one is missing a consonant. Um, I never met Fred Frederick Brown, but I did know Fred Pohl for many years, a wonderful man I now miss. Um, But back to Frederick Brown, can you tell us before, I think I should read this story if you Mm -hmm. don't mind, it's only a page long. Uh, Can you tell us about the title? You found it in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, and the way you have it on the PDF, 
which is a facsimile, it's not an obvious way to write a title. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, it's a little bit uh, sticky. So um, my assumption, it, it actually reads as, uh, from the top of the page, another complete crime story on one page, exclamation mark. It's a little editorial introduction. Then it's all caps, killers three, colon, and then three in parentheses, and then first time machine. So the way one should understand the way this story is titled outside of this magazine is first time machine or the first time machine. Um, the killers three is, I think a little series that was being run in Ellery Queen's mystery magazine. And they were, uh, possibly all Frederick Brown stories. So this isn't, um, this isn't like there was three, uh, killer stories in here. Um, as much as in a previous issue, there was a killer story number two, killer three number two, and killer three number one, if that makes sense. It does, but here's the thing. If it said killers three, parent three, close parent, colon, first time machine, I would think that first time machine is the third entry in a series called killers three. Yes. But in fact, the colon comes before Parent 3, close Parent. And there are three friends in this story. Indeed. And so the reason I ask that and want to just make sure we have it in mind is because it's a little hard to tell whether or not the three is significant. In I mean, first time machine is clearly important, as we will see in titling this story. Mm-hmm. But is the three important? Yeah, so maybe we should hear the story now that the question is posed. Sure. Right? Yep, sounds good. Dr. Granger said solemnly, gentlemen, the first time machine. His three friends stared at it. It was a box about six inches square with dials and a switch. You need only to hold it in your hand, said Dr. Granger. Set the dial for the date you want, press the button, and you are there. Smedley, one of the doctor's three friends, reached for the box, held it, and studied it. Does it really work? I tested it briefly, said the doctor. I set it one day back and pushed the button. Saw myself, my own back, just walking out of the room. Gave me a bit of a turn. What would have happened if you'd rushed to the door and kicked yourself in the seat of the pants? Dr. Granger laughed. Maybe I couldn't have, because it would have changed the past. That's the old paradox of time travel, you know. What would happen if one went back in time and killed one's own grandfather before he met one's own grandmother? Smedley, the box still in his hand, suddenly was backing away from the three other men. He grinned at them. That, he said, is just what I'm going to do. I've been setting the dials 60 years back while you've been talking. Smedley, don't, Dr. Granger started forward. Stop, Doc, or I'll press the button now. Otherwise, I'll explain to you. Granger stopped. I've heard of that paradox, too, and it's always interested me because I knew I would kill my grandfather if I ever had a chance to. I hated him. He was a cruel bully, made life a hell for my grandmother and my parents. So this is a chance I've been waiting for. Smedley's hand reached for the button and pressed it. 
There was a sudden blur. Smedley was standing in a field. It took him only a moment to orient himself. If this spot was where Dr. Granger's house would someday be built, then his grandfather's farm would be only a mile south. He started walking. En route, he found a piece of wood that made a fine club. Near the farm, he saw a red-headed young man beating a dog with a whip. Stop that, Smedley yelled, rushing up. Mind your own damn business, said the young man as he lashed with the whip again. Smedley swung the club. Sixty years later, Dr. Granger said solemnly, Gentlemen, the first time machine. His two friends stared at it. <laughs> yep, that's a Frederick Brown story, all right. <laughs> yep. He's, he's just really good at what he does. And that's why he was so prolific. Um, so I, <laughs> I note that the the opening and closing of the story are identical, except for uh, the number of gentlemen who are his a number of friends who are uh, observing Doctor Granger's time machine. Um, so I guess just to explain what's happening, um, <laughs> he kind of proved that uh, there is an answer to this question. Or at least he proved it to us uh, who are outside the story, right? That if you go back and kill your own grandfather before he meets your grandmother, then you won't exist <laughs> to go yeah. back and kill your grandfather. Hence, That's what he has proved. <laughs> which is pretty funny stuff and wonderful, um, but can really seemingly only be proved in fiction, either by a film, right, where you do it in a film and... You watch the movie where a guy goes back in time and shoots his own grandfather, and then you cut back to the present and you see him not there, and his wife married to somebody else, and you know his dog owned by another person, and all that stuff. Um, I think what what is particularly potent here is that he doesn't come out and say that. He right. says, but but by implication, he says so much more. What he's saying is um, not just that you, Smedley in this case, won't exist, but you will be changing the reality that everyone in the universe will have lived from that moment on. Mm -hmm. Because, in fact, Dr. Granger has completely different memories. Mm -hmm. He just sees two friends. And how he got to this point without anything else being changed? I mean, what, all of the times in the evolution of the friendship that Dr. Granger had with each of these three people, I imagine there were some evenings spent drinking with Smedley. <laughs> well, since there was no Smedley to spend evenings drinking with, how is it that Granger's life wound up being um, one that included the demonstration of the first time machine at exactly this moment to exactly those two friends? It seems pretty unlikely, but from the standpoint of the story, it's particularly delightful. Yeah. And it raises for me a question. Since Granger has already gone back I, um, and, and tried it out, he could have done other things. Right? He knows it works. He could have um, done a little bit more experimentation to see what would happen with it. Um, before he turned it over to anyone else. He, he's actually letting Smedley hold it in his hand. Mm -hmm. And after Smedley destroys himself, or prevents himself from ever having existed, um, 
Granger is about to do this again with two friends. Since the title is Killers 3, mm-hmm. colon, 3, First Time Machine, is it possible that um, Granger, who is, after all, different from what he was the first time when he let Smedley hold the box, Granger is going to become a killer again? Mm. and knowingly give the box to the second friend, and then he will become a killer again and give it to the third friend. In which case, since um, we hear that that Granger um, speaks rather solemnly, um, what's he solemn about? Why isn't he triumphant? (laughs) Why isn't he um, joyful? Why isn't he proud? Why is he solemn? Mm -hmm. Maybe Dr. Granger in fact, is a killer, or three of them. Well, it's it's funny. Um, I, I was wondering about that title myself, and then I'm, like, measuring, right? So it Dr. Granger has three friends at the beginning of the story. Only one person dies, we think, but actually the grandfather died too, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, therefore, a man who was his friend, Smedley, technically, I guess, died in the sense that he's no longer alive, although maybe no longer is not the right word for it. Um, is this pattern going to repeat? Are the other two friends going to say, hey, I hated my grandmother, and goes back in time? <laughs> it seems unlikely, right? So uh, what I like is Frederick Brown has not uh, given us the answer. But one thing he did do that, uh, you know, that could have been uh, changed. So because it starts and ends pretty much the same way, Dr. Granger said solemnly, gentlemen, the first time machine, that's the uh, second to last sentence. The first sentence is Dr. Granger said solemnly, gentlemen, the first time machine. But it says 60 years later, comma, Dr. Granger said solemnly at the, at the end, right? And then the last line of the story is his two friends stared at it one way we could have seen that his life was more profoundly affected is instead of saying his two friends stared at it, it could have been her two friends stared at it. Right? So that somehow Dr. Granger has changed genders, in which case there, that brings a whole lot of other implications. It means that this inventor was somehow destined to make this time machine and at this, we presume, 60 years later time... Um, I think Frederick Brown is sort of undercooking that uh, our expectations of what actually is happening outside of the text because that's how you do it in a short short. I mean, that's the traditional Frederick Brown story mode, right? His most famous story is uh, Knock. Uh, and it starts two, uh, two sentences, right? The last man on earth sat alone in a no, room. No, no, no. The first sentence is there had been an atomic war. Ah, okay. Well, it, it comes in different versions. But yes. The, the one that I've used with my classes is there had been an atomic war. Nothing lived. Nothing moved. The last man on earth sat alone in his, a room. There was a knock at the door. Right. And then that's the whole story, in, at least in some versions of it. Um, and depending well, on the magazine did use it as a story stem and had indeed, a contest indeed. continuation. And that's the point that's the point I'm making is that Frederick Brown only puts in the barest 
possible detail so that we fill in the rest ourselves and we come away with a sense of completeness even though it's incomplete in the sense that it's it's just what it is so here well, see, that that hmm. You got, you that, got that's where I think I would view it somewhat differently, Jesse, mm-hmm. um, because uh, with, with going back to knock, there was a knock at the door. What what Brown is prompting there is us to ask what made the knock. Was it um, the last woman on Earth? Right. Was it the first alien? Mm-hmm. Was it a robot? Was it a torn tree limb that's right. hanging from uh, an electrical wire and being blown by the wind? Um, in fact, it's not. It, in one sense, it's complete because it brings us to the point of heightened um, focus. Uh, but it's, in another sense, quite incomplete because we don't know the last event in this story. Now, I think the same thing is going on here. Um, his two friends stared at it, and one of the things that immediately comes to my mind is, Will he do it all over again? And what will happen again? And as you said, what will be the motivation of the next friend who holds the box? Mm -hmm. Will it be one that leads to his own demise? Which it would be if it were Killers 3. Um, Or is it something that will happen completely different that keeps Granger from being born? And the whole thing goes to heck in a handbasket. I note that the fellow's name, the inventor's name, is Dr. Granger, mm-hmm. spelled with an A-I. But a Granger, G-R-A-N-G-E-R, is someone who cares for a, a Grange, which is a, a large farm or a collection of small farms. Um, not unlike the environment into which Smedley finds himself mm-hmm. once he's gone back 60 years. Yep. And I can't help but wonder, is Brown asking us to to inquire, was there a deeper connection mm-hmm. between Granger and Smedley? Did he do all of this just to get rid of Smedley? And then he forgot why he was doing it at the, at the end of the story. Or he didn't forget it. He never knew it in the new timeline at the end of the story mm-hmm. because there never was a Smedley there. Yep. Um, the story just, it takes the simple grandfather paradox and makes it into a narrative fountain from which who knows how many different streams can uh, can pour forth. Well, let me uh, add to your, your growing river here by suggesting <laughs> um, that I, uh, Frederick Brown is very clever. Uh, Dr. Granger, so he, a Granger is, as you say, an overseer of a grange um also known as farm bailiffs right basically they're they're the guy who enforce for the lord the taxes um you know this is your percentage that's your lot i need more for the governor up in the lodge uh, in the in the castle there um but a, a smedley <laughs> that's an unusual name too a, a little yeah. even more unusual than granger etymologically is rooted in a word meaning flat meadow and what happens when Smedley gets his hands on this time machine he goes back in time and then it it reads like this there was suddenly a uh, there was a sudden blur dot 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 Smedley was standing in a field it took him only a moment to orient himself 
If this spot were where Dr. Granger's house would someday be built, then his great-grandfather's farm would only be a mile south. So <laughs> there is some irony here that Smedley's uh, in a flat field. Well, it doesn't say flat, but mm -hmm. we're going to assume. Um, and that the guy whose job it is to take care of things for the Lord, uh, in this case, are we talking God? <laughs> <laughs> it's not clear. I think um, I may be overreading in that respect. Um, what happens? The universe is set right again in the sense that this whole, this trope that uh, Frederick Brown is referring to, he calls it uh, that old paradox of time travel. Usually we call it the grandfather paradox. Um, it's sort of a, a, a question that anybody who spends much time reading time travel short stories or novels or anything has encountered presumably many times movies have it um you go you go and say well what is the answer to this and there are many answers frederick brown's answer is there's an answer and here it is and it isn't a matter of um of us knowing all the details, like if we if we think of a story like Ray Bradbury's A Sound of Thunder, where uh, they go back in time for a simple hunting trip, and they know about the grandfather paradox, so they're very worried about affecting the future, uh, which is yet to come, but the past for them, a minute ago. And when people are not observant of the law, somebody steps, on a, uh, steps off the uh, track that they're hunting dinosaur on, and steps onto a butterfly, and then they go back to the future, and what do they find? Hey, it's the bad guy got elected for president, and all sorts of things are different, right? That butterfly effect is a sort of related phenomena, a paradox as to what would happen if you go back in time. Here, it, <laughs> the purpose of the time machine is to go back in time, but I note it's not a time machine, it's the first time machine or first time machine right <laughs> that yep. implies subsequent time machines in which case might, might not the result of all this backwards time travel be <laughs> the elimination of everybody who makes maybe it's the first and last time machine eventually that story uh that you mentioned by Bradbury, quite, quite famous and mm -hmm. anthologized and read by junior high school students and, you know, just all over the place. Um, that's a 1952 story. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, not at all unreasonable to suppose that, that Brown actually knew it well mm -hmm. um, because it was already quite famous and it's three years old at the time that this is published. For me, the... The terrific difference here, the the thing that uh, that Bradbury doesn't bother to to think about, but Brown does, is not my shock at being in a world that's different from the one I expected, but how unshocking it all is because the world has simply changed. So it may shock us, but it doesn't have any such effect. On the people involved, in fact, their minds and memories have changed. Mm -hmm. And a really, in my view, great book that takes that approach to time travel. Well, not time travel exactly, but alteration of the past. 
um, is Le Guin's The Lathe of Heaven, mm-hmm. um, where someone has dreams and the dreams become true. And if his dream has a difference, makes a difference in the world, everybody in the world is now different, but they don't know it, just as here. I also would like to ask you, since we're, we're, we're speculating that Brown sees himself in the most delicate, light-handed way, really shimmering over the surface <laughs> of uh, literary history here. He's not, you know, dipping down and saying, you know, here's a cup of this and a, a jigger of that. Mm-hmm. But we see it there. So let me ask, given that in A Sound of Thunder, our human protagonists are walking along a raised boardwalk to observe the dinosaurs. Um, do you think when it, Brown wrote, Smedley swung the club? Mm. We're not supposed, I mean, when I hear he swung the club, I don't think 60 years Years earlier than 1955, I don't think 1895, people are swinging clubs at each other. Mm. When I'm reading Pulp Fiction in 1955, which I was, um, when I'm reading Pulp Fiction in 1955 and I hear blank blank swung the club, I'm thinking Robert E. Howard. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, cavemen. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm wondering if uh, Brown is trying to make us recall a different sense of things it's uh, it's interesting because um uh, what, what what i found so preposterous about this story is not the time machine which is hilarious because that's pretty preposterous but rather the fact that after just having described the grandfather paradox right what would happen if you go back in time and kill your own grandfather before he meets his own grandmother smedley has grabbed the box and says, that is exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> not, not knowing that, that that might be fatal to him. Uh, or maybe not caring that it might be fatal to him. And so once he gets there, he has time. He finds, he finds whatever weapon he happened to have, which turns out to be a, a club, right? Um, and I love, I actually highlighted this. Um, <laughs> en route, he found a piece of wood that made a fine club. <laughs> it's a fine club, yes. not a, uh, you know, so this is, this is the outer narrator getting us into the inner thoughts of Smedley, it seems. Um, and then he, he finds a redheaded young man, and I note that he's redheaded, that makes it easy for us to identify him, even though we've never seen him before and we don't know what color hair Smedley has, right? Right. Uh, beating a dog with a whip. Well, there's our reason to see why he wants to kill his grandfather. He was cruel. He was cruel when he was a young man, and he was cruel as an old man when he was Smedley's grandfather. Right? Stop that, Smedley yelled, rushing up. Mind your own damn business. Boy, that kid really does deserve a smacking, doesn't he? Said the young man as he lashed with the whip again. Smedley swung the club. So we know that he isn't hitting the dog. <laughs> He's hitting, right. he's hitting his grandfather. It's all set up for us. And we know that it was a good idea <laughs> in a certain sense. Right. But ultimately, um, nobody knows anything about this. And so what's nice about this idea of a time machine is they seem to be self-negating. Right? It went back in time <laughs> and disappeared back in time. Right? 
It wasn't like it wasn't like at the beginning of the story. Doctor Granger said, "I've just found this in an old box near a far, in an old farm near here." <laughs> right, like this time machine. The time machine has to be invented over and over again. Right, always by Doctor yes. Granger for this scenario to work, and it never gets used again if everybody goes back in time and kills one of their ancestors. <laughs> Which is, what do you mean it never gets used again? Well, um, it, 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 but it, it will be invented again. It will be invented unless again. One the, but one of those people prevents Doctor Granger from being born. There's another. There's another time travel paradox that's avoided in this story, and that is you've got a like a book that you need to. Or I, I guess this is uh, Heinlein's um, "All You Zombies." No, it's not "All You Zombies." It's the "By His Bootstraps," where. Uh, a graduate student needs to write a paper by a certain time, so he goes back in time to give himself advice as to how he should write the paper, and then that causes a loop that eventually we realize, uh, maybe maybe this is the wrong story, but basically the paper gets written, but nobody actually wrote it, right? He goes back in time, and so the time machine here isn't like invented by no one. It's always invented by Dr. Granger, and what happens is, or at least in the two instances, what happens is he loses access to it because it went back in time and stayed there. Right? Well, I, I guess that's what we have to think happened mm-hmm. because he's saying again to his friends, gentlemen, the first time machine. Yes. As if he's announcing something he's just invented. Indeed. On the other hand, which is not to disagree with you, I do agree with you. On the other hand, again, he says it solemnly rather than triumphantly or proudly. And so one has to ask again, or at least this one, me, <laughs> I have to ask again, um, did he, in fact, Dr. Granger, invent this time machine to get rid of his friends? He did. He friends? just. We just don't know if he did it on purpose. I think, I think he didn't do it well, on you purpose. You know, if, if Dr. Granger... If Dr. Granger... Well, I don't it's know. Like, it's kind of like... makes a box that's a six-inch square... Mm-hmm. And he does it three times. It winds up being six, six, six. <laughs> and unless you say, Eric, you're overreading again, <laughs> I will point out that it's in fact sixty years mm-hmm. that 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 Smedley goes back. And if they're friends, Doctor Granger may well know um, at what point the grandfather was a young man. And <laughs> why go back to when he was a young man? Wouldn't it be easier? To get him when he was smaller, younger, less strong. Like a baby? Um, Yeah, like a baby. He's got (laughs) red hair. That makes it easy for us to know because red hair is comparatively uncommon in America. And I assume this is America since brown is American and we don't Mm -hmm. get any other signs. So he's got red hair. But red hair is also often a sign of being uh, volatile. Mm-hmm. Angry, which works perfectly well with the lashing. In mm-hmm. fact, the British call what we call red hair, they often call ginger. Mm-hmm. And to do something, you know, in, in a gingerly manner means quick and, and so on. Uh, also a little careful, but clearly not Smedley's grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how much are we supposed to worry about what's going on here? And how much are we just supposed to laugh? Or to put it another way, we know we laugh. We scratch our heads and smile. We do this with a lot of Frederick Brown stories, as you have pointed out. But when you get two guys like us, there's always more to say. 
Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.